1: Okay, welcome back to Talkin' Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo, recording this on Sunday evening, just moments after New York beat the Cleveland Cavaliers at MSG by a score of 92-81. to uh, It snapped a five-game home losing streak at Madison Square Garden. That was nice. Uh, it was a very ugly game, but the Knicks are now 11-13. and uh, We're going to talk about that game and kind of the up-and-down week that led up to it. We'll try and do some big-picture stuff too, so let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right. And before I introduce my co-hosts, I want to remind those of you listening that we are now on YouTube. So we're posting like full shows, full podcasts there as well as some highlights from episodes and also like video breakdowns. Um, So kind of like video clips, highlights, stuff like that. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, YouTube, it's kind of fun. You could look at our faces if you want. Uh, Today, I'm joined by the brothers Poon, Greg and Kenny. Uh, Ken, I'll start with you. How are you doing?
0: Doing well, Tom. Doing well. Uh, I don't even. It's been a busy weekend. I guess yesterday was a lot of sports. We watched uh, the U.S. team lost in the World Cup. They went home. That was sad for me. And then I watched uh, the Villanova Wildcats. They got Cam Whitmore back, who's a projected top five pick. So uh, I'm sure we will be talking about him around draft time, but he came back and Villanova got a much-needed win. And then uh, I feel like I watched more basketball yesterday. Yeah, the Knicks played yesterday and today. So it's just been a lot of sports for me, sports watching for me. What about – what have you guys been up to?
1: GP, what's new with you? Not much. Um,
2: had a fun little weekend, went up to Boston for for a birthday, celebrated. Went to a casino, lost $60, you know. The good times. My friends won, though.
1: You were the only one who lost?
2: Yeah, so me and my friend Matt, who you've all met, lost $61 and $68, respectively. Then the other people won like $40, $250, and $600, respectively. $600? The, the big the big wallers were, were playing craps. The rest of us <laughs> were sitting on video roulette and blackjack machines.
1: Video roulette. Okay. I was going to ask what your game of choice was. Um, Well, I like, I like to do
2: actual roulette, but they had like a $25 minimum. So you had to bet $25 every, every hand or every, every spin. And so, you know, I started out and lost all my money immediately and then I left Yeah, all my money being being $60.
1: Right. If you're cutting yourself off at 60, then uh, those $25 buy-ins will be a quick night at the casino.
0: That does does remind me. I think I think we all took a trip together several years ago to I think Puerto Rico and and hit mm-hmm. the roulette table. If I'm not mistaken,
1: yeah, that's I think, that's my game of choice.
0: Yeah, I think Tom walked out the big loser that night.
1: Yeah. What else is new? Um, that's why I don't gamble, <laughs> but uh, I'm not opposed to it. I just I've never I've never been successful with it. So yeah, no no real reason. Um, I think
0: I think the thing about gambling is like I treat it as a cost like i'm i'm going to pay $50 to go have fun for the night and then that's my limit. And if i come out ahead of that, that's great, but usually it doesn't work that way. So so i don't gamble that much.
1: Yeah, uh i mean my my weekend was pretty chill. I mean yesterday was like rainy all day. I, we we decorated for for christmas, put up the tree, the ornaments, did all that stuff and nothing. We went to the park, had a nice walk. Nothing crazy over here. Um I, you know, kind of the biggest stuff I'll have to say for what else is on. So with that, we can get to a quick recap of the games. Um, I don't want to linger too long on some of these. Um, first game of the week, Knicks beat the Pistons 140 to 110 in Detroit. I don't even know. I mean, yeah, not a whole lot notable. This is a Detroit team that we knew was bad. Um, I mean, Julius Randall was, was very good in this one. Um, but, you know, I don't know that we really learned anything. About this team, did anything stand out to you guys in this game?
0: It was Randall's birthday. He had a very good game on his birthday, so good for him.
2: Yeah, I think he had those six threes. They may have all been in the in the first quarter, or right? maybe he it was he was at least five in the first quarter. So I don't, I don't that six one may have come in the second quarter. But yeah, he was just Knicks are good if Randall makes every single shot. I think that was my. My main takeaway: He was the only one person who had over sixteen points. So,
1: yeah, and we we've it's seen that much. that movie before uh, with the We Here season when Julius Randall made every <clears> shot <throat> and the Knicks were good. So um, that was a little, a little throwback there. the The next game was against the Bucks. The Knicks lost at home one hundred three one 109 to Milwaukee, and uh, you know it was really hard to find much fault in this one on the Knicks side, like they played a really good game. Um, It came down to a couple Grayson Allen DHOs at the end, uh, that three pointer that Grayson Allen hit to kind of to win the game. Um, You know, I, I don't want to, I guess RJ went under the screen and like that led to the Grayson Allen three. It was still a good contest. I'm not too worried about that. And then RJ then took a three on the other end. Some fans were, a little upset. They thought that was a bad shot, not in rhythm, but again, I, this was not a game that, that got me upset. This was a well-played game and one of the better games the Knicks played this season, frankly. And so to, to lose against a, just a simply a better team didn't bother me. What'd you guys think of this one?
0: I think you, you hit the nail on the head. And I think, you know, uh, from the stat sheet, I think this is one of the games. I think this is the only game I haven't watched this season, but from the stat sheet and from everything that I've seen, like it looks like a good game from RJ. Uh, in he looks like you know, offensively, he might have been the best player on the Knicks. But I will defer to you guys on that because uh, I know sometimes RJ's stat sheets have been uh, deceiving. The other thing I heard a lot about was uh, Mitchell Robinson's defense, uh, particularly on Giannis, and uh, I think he he also dominated on the boards. So uh, he he was another standout in that game. From again, from what I've heard.
1: Yeah, just real yeah. quick on that. I, I mean, I think Mitchell Robinson probably was the headliner <clears throat> in this one. Like, he finished with the 15 points, the 20 boards, 11 of which were on the offensive end. And, you know, I, I feel like in past games against stretch fives, and I, and Brooke Lopez is now definitely a stretch five, um, Mitch has struggled, but, uh, you know, he he really protected the paint in this one. And, and you mentioned his defense against Giannis. Giannis still ended the game with 37 points. 13 boards, seven assists. Like Giannis is just a straight up monster. Um, he also got to the line 12 times and was actually making his free throws. Like a, that was a big reason why Milwaukee was able to pull this one out. Um, Giannis doesn't usually hit 75% from the free throw line. But um, Mitchell Robinson, this was one of his best, probably his best game of the season, frankly. And then to your point, also good to see RJ um, finish this one. He got to the line nine times, finished eight of nine from the free throw line, too. So that was awesome. He finished with 26 points, just a couple boards, three assists, but um, it was that, that scoring, the efficiency from the field that has been very elusive for him so far. So that was, that was nice. Uh, Greg, did you, did you catch this one or have anything to, to add to the, the Bucks game? I did,
2: I did not catch it. We saw at the very beginning of the game, <clears throat> Jalen Brunson looked to, to sprain his ankle and we were all worried the season was over right then and there. So that's how you, that's how much you know Jalen Brunson means to this team when, that's how we're feeling after a sprained ankle.
1: So, yeah, and he didn't really look the same after that either. Um, and he'd been dealing with some like quad stuff. He finished this game eight of 22 from the field. Um, that's very unlike him. He still had the five assists to one turnover ratio, which is nice. But to be that ineffic- inefficient is, I mean, clearly something was, was hindering him. But, uh, and I kind of carried over to the Mavs game. I, I want to say he also struggled from the field in that. Well, I'm looking at the box score now, and, and he was just okay. But um, that we could go move on to the Dallas game, which I think was the most uh, maybe controversial, or I don't know, it incited the most vitriol from Knicks fans. Um, which is funny because that first quarter, the Knicks came out. I mean, Dallas came out really weak and slow, but the, the Knicks came out to a 32 to 20 first quarter lead, and they looked great. They were moving the ball. Um, I was I was really happy with how they were playing. And then the second quarter, they kind of started to to let Dallas creep back in. And then the third quarter was just, you know, it's probably the worst quarter of the season, maybe even of the Tibbs era. Dallas outscored New York 41 to 15 in that third quarter. Um, the stat that was going around, I think I saw this on Knicks Film School and maybe from Tommy Beer, was that both Luka Doncic and Tim Hardaway Jr. scored more points individually than the Knicks did as a team in that third quarter. And so that's that's a recipe for, for failure. But um I don't know, what'd you guys uh <laughs> were you guys as disheartened by this Dallas loss as much of Nick's Twitter and Nick's fan base seemed to be?
0: Uh I'll jump on that and say maybe, although like I, I I think Tib said it after a game earlier this year that like one game doesn't mean that much to me. But like at the same time, this game I actually shut off. Like I was watching for most of the game. And then uh, during that third quarter, as you mentioned, things kind of got out of hand. Uh, Julius Randall usually loves playing against Dallas uh, because he's from the area. Uh, he had 21 points in the first half, and then I think he ended with 24, so only three in that second half. Happened to the Knicks generally as it just stopped scoring. But like in that third quarter, like all of a sudden, um, Tim Hardaway Jr. just started making every three and just started pulling up ridiculous, like making ridiculous threes. Um, and at the same time, the Knicks, whose strong point is not shooting the three, I think, you know, at least last week or two weeks ago, they were the, the one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. Probably still the case, uh, but they were trying to do the same thing. Like, they just kept on pulling from three. They would miss. The Mavericks would get the rebound, go down and hit a three. And that's how you win a quarter of 41 to 15, is you just make a bunch of threes while the other team matches, misses a bunch of threes. Yeah,
1: yeah. I... I watched just real quick, Greg. On this third quarter, it started with a bunch of uh, <laughs> a bunch of Spain pick and rolls. the The Mavericks ran the same play three times in a row for for uh, basically for Tim Hardaway Jr. to spring for threes. And the Knicks, this is a play that the Knicks run all the time themselves. They run it out of timeouts. They did it today um, in the second quarter, and they somehow don't know how to defend this yet. It's very frustrating. Typically like Tim Hardaway Jr. was setting a back screen on the big man. um, And then he pops out for three and uh, it was just leading to a lot of wide open shots. Um, You know, it's, it's tough because typically the, the two guards involved in the actions would usually switch that. But the thing was that the Knicks didn't want, Brunson on Luka Doncic they did not want that they felt like that was a mismatch whenever that happened they would send a hard double to Luka and Luka just picks apart double teams like you can't you can't run the same defensive scheme against Luka every time because he'll just be several steps ahead of you and yeah multiple times we we saw Grimes just just take a couple steps towards Luka like he was going to double team him and Luka saw it coming a mile away would throw one pass, it was to for a wide open three, either for THJ or for Dorian Finney Smith. Maxi Kleba hit one. Like that that third quarter was it was brutal from a defensive execution standpoint, a scheme standpoint. Like everything about it fell apart. And I think that's why Knicks fans were so frustrated.
2: Yeah. I think that's right. When you go from winning by seven points at halftime to losing a nineteen points after one quarter of play. That's- It's quite the swing. And, Tom, have you considered that the reason the Knicks run this being pick and roll is because it's unguardable? (laughs) To them. Therefore, therefore that's why they can't guard.
1: it. You know, it got the Knicks a good look today. Uh, RJ missed the three. I I clipped it and put it on my Twitter. Um, RJ had a decent look, but he had Julius Randle just wide open in the corner. Julius was upset. And uh, didn't get back on defense. And, and um Cleveland went ahead and scored a layup in transition. So the Spain pick and roll doesn't always work, but um, it did against the Knicks on mm. Saturday. Um, but yeah, like there was just a, after that Mavericks game, there was a lot of buzz that was like, Tom Thibodeau needs to be fired. Um, he's pr- and And also buzz saying like, there are signs that, whether it's a coaching change or there's something is going to happen if, if things don't turn around, um, you know, that's obviously a huge qualifier. If things don't turn around, like that's, uh, if things
0: don't, if things don't improve from some of the worst basketball we've seen ever, things could, something could change.
1: Yeah. Like what were the odds that, that things didn't improve from, from that third quarter? Like that's as, that's as bad as we've ever seen the team play. So, um, but even so, there was still some some reporting around that, and some, some you know some chatter on the interwebs as there always tends to be. But I don't know. I know Kenny. You seem to be like the most pro Tibbs person in my life. Um, I, I think that's probably. I, I think
0: that's fair to say.
1: Um, I, and I'm actually not sure where Greg stands on on Tom Thibodeau as the head coach of this team, like. Greg, were you getting? I guess I have two questions. Like, a, do you want Tibbs fired? And b, would you be upset if he were fired?
0: Greg, you're muted, but so
2: I'll I'll let you. I don't I don't I don't need him to be fired. I have no real problem with the guy. Me, he's he annoys me sometimes with his his rotations and his commitment to putting in Julius Randle and with six minutes left in the fourth quarter, no matter what is happening in the actual flow of the game, stuff of like that. I'm not a big fan of, but the Knicks' record this year, I think they are seven and one against teams below 500 and now four and 12 against teams above 500. So they're not losing to bad teams. They're just losing to to teams that are often better than them. And, part of that is the Knicks just sometimes just put up duds. There's, you know, kind of too many cooks in the kitchen with trying to figure out who's going to be the main ball guy with uh, Randall Barrett and Brunson all going in the same unit. Well, there's not a lot of cohesion, but a lot of the time, Kenny will always say this. It's some of the stuff. These players do is just like, what do you, what do you want the coach to do? Like Julius Randall, we know what he is. He's a, Great power forward, a good power forward, and every first quarter he just comes out and jacks up a bunch of jump shots, regardless of if they're in the flow of the offense or not. Which is just like maybe Tibbs can tell him not to do that, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. He knows that he shouldn't be doing that because then the next three quarters he just doesn't do that anymore. So I don't know Uh, if he does get fired. I I also. Don't know how much I would care, but I don't see a better replacement midseason. Or that's, I don't have one off
0: the top of my head who I would
2: want either.
0: Yeah, that's that's my whole main thing is that as much as people don't like what Tibbs is doing, like I feel like the vast majority of his decisions are defensible, like you can understand why he is making those decisions, which hasn't always been the case with Knicks coaches. Uh, and that's what worries me is like, who are you going to replace him with? Like the Knicks, David Fisdale was an unmitigated disaster.
1: (laughs) No, I think the, the common response that you'd get, I think is Johnny Bryant. Who's in house. You wouldn't go out, you know, you wouldn't go find someone externally mid season. Um, but I think Johnny Bryant as the interim head coach and potentially based on how that goes hired full-time next season is probably how a lot of fans kind of envision that, um, I, you know, I don't so, have a great deal of insight into Johnny Bryant's head coaching. Um, you know and ability. that's
0: that's my whole thing is like I don't I don't know anything about whether Johnny if he, he can coach or not. like and I think that Tibbs has done what you would expect from this team and like like Greg said, they're very good against teams below 500. they're not very good against teams above 500. and that's what this team was expected to be. and I just don't see how you fire a coach. When your team is performing as expected, like they're there, we expected them to be right around 500. And like, that's what it means when you lose, you beat all the teams you play that are below 500 and you lose to the teams above 500. That's usually what that means. So I just like, number one, I don't know who they replace him with. Number two, every, like his decisions seem defensible. Number three, to Greg's point, like there are things that the team does that like he has no control over. He has no control over the fact that R.J. Barrett can't shoot right now. He has no control over the fact that, you know, Grimes was injured and now he can't shoot. Like, he has no control over those things. And um, I I put out a tweet earlier today that, like, I think outside of Jalen Brunson, every player on the Knicks has gone through a stretch this year where they were just playing bad basketball or they were injured. And so, like, that's stuff that the coach can't control. And they're still right where you expect them to be based on the teams that they have played. So, like, again, I don't yeah. know how you you get rid of a coach for for doing what you would expect this team to do. Uh, I don't think it's his fault that this isn't a great team. I think the talent just isn't there, and I think the front office knows that. And they have been, you know, stockpiling assets in order to make a trade to bring someone in to get them to the, that next level. So, like, I, I think the front office knows that they're not there yet, and I don't think that they're actually expecting to be, you know, a top-level team right now.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing on the R.J. Barrett front, like, correct, Tibbs can't control that he's really playing poorly right now on both ends of the floor. Um, You know, on the whole, there's been some outlier games where he's played quite well. But overall, it's been a pretty unmitigated – I mean, you talk about David Fisdale, unmitigated disaster. The thing is that R.J. Barrett shouldn't be leading the team in minutes so often. Like, you could cut back his – his time on the court, especially that, that, uh, stretch when he was sick, we were told he was sick. I, you know, we have no reason to, to not believe that, but he was still getting a ton of minutes. And, um, you know, I think that one thing that, that Tom Thibodeau did in this game against Cleveland today, and I'm going to circle back to the larger discussion on Tibbs in a minute, but, um, one thing that happened in this Cleveland game that I thought was really notable was that Cam Reddish was removed from the rotation entirely. Um, you know, I, I feel like, It's an interesting decision and it ended up, you know, they won this game and they won this game. I think it was mainly because their defense, you know, they, they only allowed, was it 84, 81 81. points. Um, Part of that is because, you know, Deuce McBride was the first win uh, first guard off the bench. That was instead of Derek Rose, Derek Rose was also removed from the rotation today. Um, And, and that perimeter defense of, of Deuce. And when IQ came in and Grimes playing all his minutes, like that is a really tough, Uh, perimeter defense and I I don't know that I just I'm confused about Cam Reddish's removal frankly because I think he could still add a lot of value he brings stuff to this team that other guys just that they don't have RJ really struggled in that first half I think he was one of eight from the field he had five turnovers um, and he still led the team in minutes in that first half and so I just think you know Something like that's a little baffling to me where Cam Reddish should be removed I, when he did have a bad game. Cam had a bad game against Dallas, but a lot of other guys have had bad games and they still I, keep keep I, getting I, time. Again, like
0: I don't disagree that, you know, maybe RJ isn't the the person like to be playing all of those minutes, but I can understand the thinking that you just paid this guy his rookie extension and like he was he's been, you know, a slow start of the last few years. And your hope is that he finds his way out of his slump and becomes a productive player. So like I can see the reasoning behind giving him these minutes and hope and like because I don't think you're gonna bench RJ Barrett at this point. Um so like I, c- I I can see the
1: thinking behind it. And I'm Although, not saying like, I- bench him, I'm just saying don't play him the most minutes. Yeah. You know? No,
0: and I and I-, I agree with that, but at the same time, like that's what he's used to. And so I could see the argument behind giving him the minutes that he is used to. Uh, And hoping that he gets out of this slump. So, like, like I said, it's there. Like, there's nothing he does that I'm like that makes no sense at all. Like, I can't see a reason for doing that. Like, there's things that that I disagree with. Like, like you said, I think he should probably be cutting down on his minutes a little bit right now until stuff he figures stuff out. But like, I can at least see the argument for what he's doing. Whereas like Fizdale, Hornacek, like the the guys who have come before, there was a lot of questions about like how they handled the team.
1: Yeah, and just closing the loop on this Cavs game, um, you know, Jalen Brunson led the team with twenty three points. I don't know; it was it was a really weird game, guys. Like it was it was a bizarre one to watch. Their travels were called like every few minutes. Most of the season for any game played, it was wildly just. It was unfun to watch, but it was also just like it it ruined any flow. Um, The players couldn't find any rhythm. It seemed like the offense was just. I mean, the final score says it all. It was 92 points won it. Um, the Knicks had 20 turnovers. I don't know. I'd imagine that's towards the most that they had this season. Um, I don't even think the Knicks played particularly well, but they still came away with a win here. It was, it was just kind of a weird one. Greg, what'd you think? Yeah. I mean, they just did what
2: they had to do. <clears throat> like you said, the refs were calling travels. And down that stretch, there was a, Couple of lifesavers travels that uh that got called on the Cavs. You know, the uh, Knicks had spread it out. The second unit really kind of carried the plus minus uh, today at the least, and you know they got it up to like thirteen at some point in that fourth quarter, and that was when Tibbs decided like, okay, time for the starters to go back in. but I mean, he he staggered them. It was Mitchell Robinson, then it was. Julius Randle, and then finally RJ Barrett came in with like three minutes left. But the lead very, very quickly when Randle checked in went from 13 to six, which was a bit scary. But then um, Kevin Love was going to shoot a three to to try to cut it to three and just got called for a travel for, for whatever reason, just for fun seemingly by the refs. And that yeah. was a lifesaver. And Didn't really look that... like a
1: travel, but that's fine. Um, there were a lot of those today. So, um, yeah, hopefully I know that the league's emphasizing travels and all that. They they say it like every game, but this one was like overemphasized um, to a degree that was just almost not basketball anymore. Um, <laughs> and it's
0: it's not the travels that people complain about like the, the the travels that people complain about is people taking like four steps on the way to the basket. The travels they were calling is like the first step travel, which like, I don't think is what people get mad about Um, when they, they watch people travel in the NBA. And like, it was just not fun to watch.
1: Yeah. Breen made the point of whether the travels actually led to advantages for the offensive player. And it seemed like a lot of times they had nothing to do with the, the game play like at all. So, um, yeah, and hopefully we never see that crew again. <laughs> um, we should make I, a mental note of that.
0: <laughs> I uh and just going along with what you were saying, Tom, I don't know if it like affected the players' um kind of mentality or anything, but like there were a lot of turnovers from both sides that were just like turnovers you don't see, like people just passing it to the other team and like from both sides, passing it out of bounds, passing it to the other team, just like losing the ball. Like it was not like what you're typically used to watching in uh, in an NBA basketball game, um, it was just a lot of you know, carelessness or something going on, and I, I'm wondering if it was the travels that like led to people being a little hesitant or a little, you know, tentative to to be a little more aggressive
1: and, and assertive. Right, and it led to a lot of, I mean, the, the number of missed threes. the The Cavs shot just under 23 percent from three and they were the better three-point shooting team. The Knicks, the Knicks shot 17% from behind the arc, five of 29. <laughs> I mean, it was, like I said, that was an ugly game to watch. It was nice to see them pulling out with defense and, you know, kind of circling back to the Tibbs conversation a bit. The, the Knicks defense has been really bad this year. Um, coming into this game, I believe they're the 27th ranked defense in the league after this game. They it was such a good defensive game. They're now 24th in the league. This is according to Cleaning the Glass. They give up just under 115 points per 100 possessions. That's 24th in the league, and that's that's pretty bizarre. Um, This is a Knicks offense that is 16th. So just I mean basically league average in offense, but they've been really bad in defense. And this is it's not really what you associate with a Tom Thibodeau uh, coach team. Two years ago for the Wee Here season, they were a top five defense. Um, last year, I know they were in the top the top half of the league. I mean, I can pull up real quick, kind of where they were. But the fact that they're twenty fourth is is pretty alarming. I think, um, especially since we're already a quarter of the way through the season. So yeah, last year the Knicks were the twelfth ranked defense, all the way down to twenty fourth this year. So um, Kenny, you being the the staunchest Tibbs supporter, does the does the twenty fourth ranked defense uh, you know, cause any like alarm bells to go off for you?
0: Um, like we've talked about this previously, and like I, I have to feel like that that number is going to go down. Although, like the, the further we get into the season, the harder it is to say that. Um, but like there's, I, I have, I believe that's probably why we saw the kind of Derek Rose benching in in favor of Cam Reddish. I mean, that would be the the only reason uh, that you'd expect it to happen. But like. I don't know and and it's such it's so hard to to kind of blame the you know system for the shots that other people are getting. I think the Knicks give up um, you know, by far the most wide open threes and I can't imagine that's a part of, you know, Tip system, although I guess historically they they have tried to pick the shooters who, who get those shots and um you know have given them up. But like I just don't I, I feel like you know, over time, that number is going to come down, just based on you know it's not that different of a team than they had, you know, even just last year when they were much much better on the the defensive end. Although you know, potentially the the pushing the pace might you know take away some of the energy on the defensive end.
1: Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is like this isn't that different of a team. that even finished top five in defense. Like, I mean, a lot of the core is still there, right? Um it's just it's very strange that with the personnel not turning over like so much, and even some of the like worst <laughs> defensive players, right? Like Kemba Walker, his you know his numbers are are a part of last season's uh, bigger picture. He was terrible on defense. Evan Fournier also terrible on defense. Um, and those guys, I mean, granted, Fournier got had some some minutes, some several games in this season as well, but like. It, it, you know, the defense hasn't been better with Fournier out, which is concerning as well. So I don't know. The, the scheme is, as we know, it's like drop pick and roll coverage. Um, there are definitely, you know, some some holes in it. And uh, it requires the, the team to like really play on a string to make their rotations, to hustle a lot and to like make second efforts. And that's kind of the biggest thing I see, like Julius Randle. You could probably count on one hand the number of second efforts he's made um, this season. Like when he makes one rotation to the paint, he doesn't leave the paint. He he will not run back out to the perimeter after he makes one rotation, and it's been a huge issue for the for this team because he gets a lot of minutes, and defenses know to just kind of like, you know, attack RJ, attack Julius. They've been our two worst defenders all season, and they're our two highest usage players. So um and you know highest minutes per game players i should say um so yeah that's i don't know if that's an effort thing or a a buy-in thing or scheme but it's definitely i don't know the further we get into the to the season like the the less we can kind of count on the small sample size stuff
2: yeah hopefully hopefully it gets better with uh like kenny was saying the a lot of the time their transition defense has just been awful, even off of made made baskets. Sometimes you'll see the other team just get a fast break. And Clyde is a big hater of that and says, you know, that that should never happen, which is true. But I mean, I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me to say that's the reason why that the entire defense has gone wrong. But it's a contributor, I, I, I assume.
1: Oh, it is. No, their their transition defense has been among the worst in the league. But uh, today it was really good like deuce mcbride getting back in transition like him being kind of the the guy who's back there that made a huge difference um Derek rose has been god-awful on that end like he he really hasn't you know kind of lent any resistance in transition um when julius randall's back there when rj's back there there's just nothing like it's basically like no one's back there um, but Deuce back there, Grimes back there, they make a huge difference. And so today the transition defense was really strong, I noticed. Um, so, yeah, I'll I, be curious to see if, if Deuce actually gets more regular minutes going forward because earlier this week he was in the G League.
2: Yeah, it's funny because he was just like a, a dominant force in the G League. He scored like 25. And then, you know, he move up to the big leagues and he had – Zero points on 0 for four shooting today. It's really uh pretty wild the the difference between the G League and the NBA. But
1: yeah, and Greg, I just pulled up the number real quick. The Knicks rank twenty-fifth in uh like additional points per possession in transition. So they're the twenty fifth ranked transition defense. And they um, were the
2: twenty fourth overall defense?
1: Correct. Yeah, so
2: that's dragging us down.
1: It ain't helping. (laughs) <laughs>
2: hmm. yeah i mean going back to your 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 career rotation talking about is derrick rose out of the rotation officially and so i was thinking today like maybe cam and rose were out because it was a back-to-back but earlier this week we had a back-to-back and they both played in both games so that I,
0: didn't one yeah. other thing I was thinking about is, is potentially just the matchups with Donovan Mitchell and and Garland. Uh, they might've preferred to go with, with uh, Deuce over um, Rose. I, I have no ex- excuse for, for the Cam Reddish thing other than, you know, he is, he is coming off injury and there were, you know, several back-to-backs. So maybe there's something there, but I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, man. Cause RJ Barrett got a lot of minutes on Darius Garland and, and, you know, frankly, Darius Garland was really bad tonight. And so I don't, I don't think that was because RJ was on him all that much. Like there was one play early on where RJ was just a turnstile and, and Garland got right by him, but Darius couldn't hit anything. He was five and 19 from the field, um, three assists to four turnovers. Uh, I think he was a, a team worst minus 17 while he was on the floor. He looked, he looked terrible tonight. So, um, you know, it worked, I guess, like the result was there, but like Cam Reddish would be able to defend Darius Garland much better than RJ Barrett could. Um, But I don't, I mean, I know, I mean, I know RJ has to play. That's not what I'm saying. It's just like Cam Reddish could have probably added some value there as well, but that's a really tough backcourt and Garland and Mitchell combined for 13 for 41 from the field. So um, yeah. Including five of twenty from three, so uh, it was it was a it was the right night to catch Cleveland. Um, I mean, I think
2: I think we got to wait and see what happens on with the rotations on Wednesday, and then decide if Cam and and Rose are really really out of it. But like you were saying, great night to catch Cleveland. They were missing Jared Allen and Karis, Lubert, which, well,
0: Karis Levert,
1: which Karis Levert
2: played right. He did I don't know.
1: Well, yeah, just 16 minutes though. I don't know if he got hurt or something.
2: I mean, I, di- I didn't. I personally was on a train until the fourth quarter, so he didn't play in my eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that but, is weird that he only played 16 minutes though. Um,
2: yeah, but Jared Allen wasn't there, so that was part
0: of it.
1: One guy on that Cavs team who I know we talked about a good amount as a potential draft pick um, was Isaac Okoro. And he looks really bad. He looks like he completely forgot how to play offense. Um,
0: I and he was well. He was never thought of as an offensive guy. Uh, he he came in as like a. a we were hoping he was going to be a a defender. Um, he just does yeah. a bunch
1: of nothing out there.
0: Yeah, I honestly like i I remember hearing his name like twice, and then I didn't think about him the entire rest of the game. He mean, he does. He does sound like one
2: of our draft picks based on that description of him.
0: That so, like that. Now that I'm thinking about it, the only time I remember hearing his name was when he got boxed out and IQ got a rebound over him, which yeah. is just like, I don't know. I think I mean IQ is a very good rebounder for his size, but like I feel like that's that's something Akora should have should have handled. But again, that's the only time I remember hearing his name tonight.
1: Yeah. So bullet dodged there. <laughs> with a coro but uh all right well let's see we can um we can do a little bit more big picture talk i think and and greg i'm with you we'll we'll check in with cam reddish next week because he's the one i actually care about like derrick rose being out of the rotation fine by me but cam reddish i i'm very curious to see where i mean he, he,
2: he was closing out a lot of games too not just playing minutes uh even like the his first game back i think he closed it out So I I don't think he's done. They played Grimes for 40 minutes tonight, which clearly they have a lot of faith in him, even though he only scored four points when his offense doesn't work and they trust that he'll, he'll play defense. But Cam was making plays on defense too, so I don't know if those guys are mutually exclusive from each other in Thibodeau's eyes, but we'll see. We'll see.
1: Yeah, Kenny, you you mentioned earlier the the front office. And so I just kind of want to take a step back here now that we're over a quarter of the way through the season and just kind of talk about like where we expect this team to kind of go from here, whether there's going to be any like mid season trades on the horizon, or just like what what can Knicks fans actually like look forward to, <laughs> whether it's this season or down the road? Because it seems like this this front office is goal is to acquire a star via a trade that's kind of you know plans at a b and c right that's if that doesn't work we're kind of up the river but i i don't know who like a a star we should be targeting is like i don't want carl anthony towns I've, i've heard talk of like zach levine these aren't like super winning players that i've heard like thrown around out there so um i don't know Kenny, where are you at with this front office? Like in terms of how they've I mean, just big picture stuff. Like, do, do you do you like where the Knicks are right now? And do you think that like are we just are we stuck in purgatory? Or is there something we can look forward to?
0: Uh not gonna be a popular answer, but I feel like we're gonna be stuck in purgatory for a while. Um, I think right now the issue is that like the like you said their their entire plan is to wait for a star to be available and like that doesn't happen every day so until that happens they're going to continue to kick the can down the road and like right now they have like one of their bigger problems is they have a lot of players who are like actual nba players but they have no you know star player to to take them to the next level and you know that that creates all of this, you know, minute crunch and you're you're losing value on players by not playing them as much as you could be. Um and you know, I, I don't know if there's you know, anyone on the on the on the roster that um, of the young guys who you would expect to develop into something more than that. I don't know if where their draft picks fall, you would expect to draft someone who could become a star in a few years, like any either way it's going to be a long time. They have uh projected to have three pretty solid picks in this upcoming uh, draft. We'll see whether that you know turns into a player. if not again I would expect them to punt um, just because they have a lot of players under contract and so maybe they take one of those three picks and turn it into a player and then the other ones I would expect them to turn them into future first just as just like they have the last few years to, to try to um, you know get some more value. Um, to have in their back pocket in order to have a trade because like we've talked about before uh, during draft pods like a draft pick could be anything once you make that pick it's a lot less useful because you know um, only the people who want the player that you have are in it whereas anyone who wants someone from the drafts could be in on a draft pick so like I expect that to be the plan and I expect the Knicks to continue to be this season at least this middle-of-the-road team that we've seen, and the the front office, I have to imagine, is expecting that, and they are just waiting for their opportunity to use some of the pieces that they have put together to take the team to the next level, although like the, the thing that you don't want to see them doing is them throwing all of their pieces and gutting the roster in order to get someone like they've done in the past, which has also been disastrous. So um, I'm okay with the patient approach, um, I don't know that the rest of the Knicks fan base will be because you already see a lot of impatience uh, yeah, from I mean, people. I mean, going off of that,
2: you know, you say that a star player doesn't come around available all the time, which is very true. But this past summer, the guy we just played, Donovan Mitchell was available, and we all thought he was as good as on the Knicks, but the Knicks were willing to, to not trade for him wait for because they thought the ask was too much and also I feel like they didn't think he makes them a championship contender so that it's that's the real like the difference between a star player becoming available and like Anthony Davis becoming available not current Anthony Davis but like when he was on the the Pelicans So something like that, and how much are the Knicks even willing to pay? I don't know that they're they're willing to make this big splash until they think that it's the move that will get them over the hump and into the conversation. Like, like the Cavaliers thought they were actually good enough for Donovan Mitchell to become like the guy on a top four team in the East. So yeah, I I mean the
1: Cavs the Cavs have a really strong young core with those with those four guys. but I mean, who knows where that'll actually take them in the East. But like, yeah, the question for the Knicks would be like, would they actually have enough after giving up one trade package for a star? Would they have enough left over to trade for a second star? That seems to be like the only kind of option at this point. Um, I, I guess my my biggest thing is I, I still feel like I, I know on draft night we were kind of praising the Knicks for flipping that one draft pick into three future firsts. But the more I've thought about it, like kind of the the lower I've been on that move, or just at least that philosophy, just because I really believe that this team needs to take more swings at talent. Like we say, oh, there's a lot of NBA players on this roster, and that's true. But there's not a lot of high upside guys who could like pop and, and be like, very good starters you know like I, Obi is kind of who i'm thinking of here where we spent the eighth draft pick on him and we have not really i mean as far as development goes he's developed into a a three not a not, not three indeed just straight up threes and kind of transitions and lobs sometimes but mostly threes um and greg it reminds me of your criticism of oklahoma city way back when they turned sabonis into a three-point shooter i'm not saying that Obi Toppin is as uh, skilled as Sabonis is, but it's a similar type of archetype, or like you need like Obi Toppin should be not jacking up threes all the time. And that's kind of been his only role. That's that that's the eighth overall pick. There were a lot of guys on the board that we liked back then. In the moment, we liked Halliburton. We liked Maxi a lot. Um, it's just it, it's super frustrating. Um but I guess my, my point to all that is that like those three picks that they acquired, if that's okay. only going to be used for a trade or like to kick the can further down the road and to flip them for more picks, I want to see him try and draft somebody that they think has potential. Like I know Jalen Williams is a guy who was drafted shortly after um, the Knicks traded down in this past draft and Oklahoma city got him. And, and he's looking like a legit player. I'm not saying he's gonna be like a future all-star, but he looks like a real piece on a very good team. And, I want to see them like take a young guy, take a chance, and actually like put their chips in on on a a young player that they believe in.
0: Again, like I think the problem is, and like it, it was the same problem with Obi, is like where is that person going to find minutes? And like you, like I'm, I'm they're <laughs> they're stacking up all of these pieces in order to trade them, and in order to have these pieces, you need to have like all of these players. So like I just don't know. Obi couldn't find, couldn't break into the rotation to get the development minutes that he needed. Um, And I think it was an organizational
1: problem, though. That's but, like yeah, a real problem.
0: But I mean, no matter who you drafted, there was someone at every position for the Knicks this year. So like if they traded other people off and made room for them, like that's one thing. But like, I just don't, there's just not, any place for any player to you do that though
1: you do trade the you their derrick roses and like the veterans like you you make room for these guys if they're if you believe that they can be a part of your future whereas some of these veterans can't be um i I guess my my only issue though is that like we say we're going to package these assets but there's no real evidence that like those picks are considered very valuable like utah didn't want them utah didn't care about those protected picks at all in their in the donovan mitchell talks they wanted the knicks own unprotected picks because they don't trust new york as an organization to like be competent going forward but there's there was no reporting or anything that the knicks that the jazz cared at all about those protected picks i think they just overvalued them
2: and the one thing i'll say is that a lot of this comes back to do you want tom Thibodeau to be the coach of the knicks because I mean, if if they drafted a young guy, then not that there's not minutes to be there. There's plenty of minutes for Obi to play, but he just has Thibodeau has to play Randall thirty-eight minutes every game. So uh, it's that's just not that's just on the coach. And He doesn't really have the philosophy of of playing rookies too often. Uh, so, like you said, it's an organizational problem, but that's that's largely the the coach. I don't know if we like if we drafted Jalen Duran who was the person that we drafted that pick. Obviously, I don't think we would have picked him since he doesn't really fit. That yeah. That's just a person who just – there's no spot for him on the team with with Tom Thibodeau coach, and They have three centers. They're not getting Jericho Sims minutes right now. And they have Randall and Obi, who are the
0: only two people allowed to play power forward on the team. And I, I would say that it's more a front office problem than a – Tibbs problem because like if he brought Jalen Durin in like I don't know who the coach is but I don't see minutes for Jalen Duren on this team um anywhere
1: like but you wouldn't have brought in Hartenstein like if if Durland were actually like part of your plan then I mean do you even pay Mitchell Robinson 60 million dollars or like do you bring in Hartenstein as your starting center and bring in Durin as your backup they also brought in Sim like you know these these decisions wouldn't be made in silos they'd be made kind of a, as a part of a greater whole I think and you just would you definitely wouldn't have three centers on your roster and bring in Duran, but and, I mean,
0: I, I still go back to the point that I would rather have those three picks than whatever you were going to get at that pick right there. As
1: I'm... as trade assets, or like, or actually, to because you're not going to pick play. I I think that they're overrated as trade assets, and I don't think that they're going to use them all to pick players because they don't have room for them all. They don't. We're saying they don't even have room for one, let alone yeah.
0: three. I I I don't think one um one conversation with the Utah Jazz when like a lot of people said that Danny Ainge was mad that the Knicks showed up at one of their playoff games and wasn't negotiating good faith is a good gauge of the value of those assets. So But I'm, do we uh,
1: see like protected picks get moved like I mean we just got we see like we just look got at Cam the Timberwolves. Reddish. the Timberwolves got Cam Reddish for the top 18 protected pick or or whatever. So that's like, fine, but like Cam Reddish is, didn't even, like he might be out of our rotation. Like I'm saying, like for a star, Kenny, I'm talking about for a star. Like Rudy Gobert got moved for a bunch of unprotected Minnesota picks. Like it wasn't, I don't know. Like just look at the track record for actual stars, and you're not going to see a bunch of like heavily protected picks moving because I don't think that they're super valuable.
0: Again, I don't think those picks are as heavily protected as as people portrayed them at the time that we got them. Um, a lot of people said that like. They probably weren't going to convey, which I just don't think is the case. Um, so, like, oh, even I think, if they
1: do convey, it's not. I'm saying like unprotected picks. So they're not. The, they're the not, not the going to be lottery
0: picks. Is yeah, they're not going to be lottery picks. But like, if you're like, they're not. They're not valueless. I don't. And I don't think they're they're as low as you you think based on the the Utah Jazz you know, not to. Well, and even even that, there were there were some of them involved in that in those conversations. So like, they're not nothing. But not enough to like move the needle, I guess is but, my uh, point. But but the oh. Knicks also have their own picks, so it's like they're they're not nothing is what it comes down to. Because like if the Knicks want to trade their own picks and then also add these, like, would you rather have the Knicks unprotected pick or the Knicks unprotected pick plus three protected draft picks from other teams?
1: But they're not not if, if they're not going to use them and if but they're
0: no, not no that so you're talking about value and I'm saying like you're saying that they're under like which would you rather have?
1: I'd rather the Knicks pick a player that I think is going to be very good and but then, would you and then play them have, and develop them on the roster. <laughs> but
0: we're, you're telling me that they, they're not valuable, but they are like,
2: I mean, he's just saying that they're not going to be the headline and Donovan not, Mitchell trade.
0: No not, one's saying that they are, but like having three unprotected picks is not, it's, it's something. And I think it's more valuable than, than you seem to think.
1: You definitely do. We can agree on that. (laughs) Um, All right. We can move on though. Uh, I don't know. We've been going for a while though. Um, Is there anything else you guys want to say about this team? I guess we can, we can go on to next week if we're, we're done on this sort of big picture stuff. It works for me. All right. So in the upcoming week, we have got the Atlanta Hawks. So we've got a few days off here. We've got the Atlanta Hawks at home. On Wednesday, Charlotte Hornets at Charlotte on Friday, and then another 6 p.m. Sunday game at home against the Kings, who've been pretty good this year. Um, they're currently 12 and nine, fifth in the Western Conference. Um, as we're recording, so just three games. Uh, I think we predicted last week correctly, two and two. Um, we don't have the the 500 kind of crutch to lean on here, though. We got to go one way or the other. Um, Atlanta having a little bit of controversy now with with Trey Young. Um, it, it seems like he's uh, kind of disappointed as the the head figure in that franchise. I could see the Knicks winning at home against it. I mean, I could see the Knicks going 2-1 and one this week, for real. Like beating Atlanta, going to Charlotte, beating the Hornets. And then probably losing at home to the Kings. I think the Kings are pretty good right now. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Two and one.
2: That sounds good to me. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lock in the who's going to be the two wins because I mean, I think we will we'll agree that the the Kings is a possible W, but they have been pretty good. But we just beat the Cavs, who have also been pretty good. The Knicks have shown that they are capable of beating good teams. While they they are only four and. 12 against them but those four wins are more than zero.
1: And the Hawks are I should say are 13 and 10 right now. Um so it's not like that's a that's not a gimme or anything. Um but but the Knicks do have a few a few days to kind of rest up and prepare for it. And uh you know they got a little positive momentum coming from this Cleveland game. So uh, the optimistic take is is they beat Atlanta. The pessimistic take is that they 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 go one and two and lose to Atlanta. So I think that's kind of the swing game is is um, the first game of the week.
0: I I think the optimistic take is three and zero, but uh, I'll, I'll go with you guys. Uh, I think two and one is the the reasonable optimistic take. Although like <laughs> I, I don't think three and zero is out of the question. Um, and I think actually for the next uh, roughly month, this seems like the most you know, reasonable part of the next schedule. Like there's some, there's some top end teams there, but like, there's a lot of, you know, middle of the road and, and pretty bad teams over the next month. Um, so I think this is the next chance to kind of capitalize that and, and improve their, their record.
1: All right. So two and one, we're in agreement. Um, we can move quickly to our favorite sub podcast and that's what else is on, uh, Greg, what else have you been watching? What else have I been watching? It's a good question.
2: Uh, I've been watching Atlanta a little bit. So the first two seasons were were fun. The third season, they do a lot of uh, episodes that are just like... You just
0: switch to mute for some reason?
2: I pressed the space bar. I guess I made it to... And,
0: uh,
2: <laughs> I did a... Uh... The the third season they do a bunch of stories that like are are one offs, unrelated to the story, and sometimes like the the characters aren't even in it. Like Donald Glover isn't even in these episodes, and they are weird. So hmm. uh, first two seasons were great though. Uh, there's one season left that I got to watch, but that's where I'm at. So what do else you, is on? You here? recommend it? I recommend watching the first two seasons. Yeah, people then, love the first two. You can watch the third one and be like, "Well, wow, that's what Greg was talking about. That's, <laughs> that's that's why you should watch it." Plus, I've been I watching the White Lotus because you and uh, Jake bullied me into watching the last episode, which apparently you guys were joking.
1: No, I I liked that. That uh, I honestly think the last episode of White Lotus was the best one they've had this season. Um, yeah, no, it was
2: it was good, but I remember you guys were like, "So I got such a good ending."
1: Yeah, we that it was part great. was it was, sure. uh, it was pretty wild. I didn't see it coming. I'll <laughs> say that much. Um, but no, no spoilers here. I'm excited for the next episode to drop tonight as we're recording this. I'll probably watch it later in the week. But um, I don't know. There's only two more episodes left of this season, so some big, some dramatic stuff's probably going to happen. Um, Kenny, what else is on for you?
0: Uh, so, along with all the sports I watched yesterday, I did spend most of this. Uh, my TV watching time this week, uh, watching 1899, which Greg talked about last week. Uh, I was a big fan of dark. Um, I was also a big fan of 1899. Um, although I think talking to Greg, I don't think he was as psyched about the ending as, you know, I was okay with it. Um, and excited to see where things go. And you know, that's, uh, I think you weren't a big dark fan, Tom, but if, if you have watched dark, um, and you were a fan of it. I'd highly recommend 1899. If you haven't watched Dark, but you like it, the way that I always used to describe Dark to people was, it's like a <clears throat> better, darker version of Stranger Things. Uh, it's very complex, uh, so like it's something you really have to actually focus on when you watch it. So if that sounds good to you, I would watch both Dark and 1899. Uh, but uh, that was my that was my uh, week in watching. What about you, Tom?
1: I mentioned we we got a little bit into like Christmas mode this weekend, put up the tree and all that stuff. Um, and so Rose and I, we, we have some like holiday movie blind spots that we're trying to remedy. One, we neither of us had ever seen uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And uh, some people for some people, that's like very offensive, like they grew up with that. And that's what they watched every year. Um, my sister-in-law, uh, Dave's wife, Tara, their family is obsessed with that movie. Um, we both watched it and it was good. It was, it was actually very funny. It's it held up and I did not realize that Julia Louis Dreyfus played such a big role in that. I didn't know Elaine from Seinfeld was in that movie. So that was a pleasant surprise, funny movie. I recommend it. We're probably gonna be on like a little Christmas movie kick these next few weeks. So um, again, a few, a few more blind spots to, to you know, Die Hard. I haven't seen Die Hard. That's another one that people kind of freak out about. So um, maybe that's what I'll be talking about next weekend.
2: I haven't seen either of those movies. So
0: I've seen Die Hard, and I uh, you know I think that's a very controversial one in terms of the Christmas movie Lexicon. So maybe you know you can watch it and tell us what you think, Tom. I I never really thought of it as a Christmas movie, although you know I I see the argument, I guess, but it's uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that
1: far it's easy just to go back to the old standbys like home alone is just such a classic that is it. Yeah. Um, and it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, last Christmas year, we, we last year we watched it's a wonderful life for the first time. Neither of us had watched that in its entirety.
0: See, that's more offensive to me than not seeing national lampoon. I hadn't seen that movie either.
1: See, but we checked it off the, the list though. So it seems like Greg has got even more. Yeah. Cause I, because
2: I I've, I've been checking off my, my list for years, not, Dedicated to to Christmas movies, like you know, the Sixth Sense, Donnie Darko, Taxi Driver. To on the professional, I've just slowly been chipping away at those over the last, you know, couple of years. Some of them are good, some of them are not good. That's we need to get more of
1: those uh, those film um, reviews.
2: Yeah, I want to be part of the the discussion of of renowned film. To tell you that Taxi Driver is like a whatever film. <laughs> i need to watch that Casablanca is good though
1: i like that too i like Casablanca too um all right well good stuff guys um i think that that's plenty of what else is on uh if you're still listening we appreciate you make sure you subscribe to your to our podcast on spotify follow on spotify subscribe on apple podcasts um like i mentioned at the top we're on youtube definitely subscribe to us there you can follow us on twitter at talking nick's Instagram at Talking Knicks for posting a bunch of content. We are here. Um, yeah, so yeah, we appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next week. Until then, let's go Nick's. Knicks tape.